Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Alpha. And we're joined by our polling expert, Ben Walker, for an episode of the New Statesman podcast where we discuss public opinion on the UK's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you ask us, what can we really know about Russian public opinion? Thanks so much for joining us again, Ben. Thank you for having me. And before we we chat to you about the polling, we've actually had some of our own polling questions come back done by the Redfield and Wilton Strategies polling firm. And this was about sort of how the public sees Boris Johnson after recent events. Now, obviously, it is quite tasteless to sort of contemplate anyone actually benefiting from this war. And it is quite a sort of insular sort of Westminster view of this story. So I just want to start by caveating these results with that. But there is a lot of chatter in Westminster at the moment about whether or not the response to the war in Ukraine is affecting Boris Johnson's position and reputation. And so it's important for us to to, to look into that. Um, and what we found actually from, from our survey is that 54%, so a majority of respondents, believe Boris Johnson should resign as prime minister. And two thirds, 66%, said that their view on him hadn't changed since the UK's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So this suggests that Boris Johnson's position does seem more precarious than perhaps the received Westminster wisdom that sort of being a sort of wartime prime minister sort of helps you in terms of looking powerful to the public. I just wanted to ask you, Ben, whether or not those results, which are just fresh in, they were taken yesterday, um, whether they reflect sort of what else is out there on sort of public opinion of the prime minister himself. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were taken this this week and we're recording on Thursday, the 3rd of March. So we just had a week of coverage of conflict in Ukraine. The public are well aware of it. They're actually paying attention to it this time. Normally, the public don't pay attention to conflicts overseas. Remember that famous, infamous Barbara Neville Chamberlain line, what is it, a, a conflict in a far off country that has little relevance to us. The public aren't looking at it that way now. So you would think that, that Johnson would benefit. But admittedly in in one or two surveys his approval is up a little bit but we're still looking at rock bottom ratings for the prime minister he's gone from being rock bottom to a little bit higher you know more the stones more pebbles more if you know what i mean um (laughs) the recovery for johnson will probably happen 
but it's not going to be significant to the point that he's going to be the most loved war hero that he aspires to be. We're not going to see that. We're probably going to see maybe a tightening in the polls at the moment. The one or two polls show a narrowing in the Labour lead. Uh, one or two polls show a narrowing in Starmer's net lead over Johnson in terms of favourability. But but really, it's minuscule stuff. You look overseas, you look in America, Joe Biden's seeing next to no change in his approval as a consequence of this. Emmanuel Macron in France is seeing a tiny change, but again, tiny. It seems as though uh, the public in the West are not associating the handling of our response to Ukraine with the leaders of the West yet. Mm. Which is fascinating because we observed such a stark COVID bounce for all incumbent leaders everywhere. So clearly the public just thinks of this differently. Regrettably, we'll talk about actual public attitudes to to how we respond to Ukraine in a moment, but Brits look at this as something that we can't really control. They, they, They look at something as we can't exactly, you know, manage ourselves and we can't exactly pin Johnson up and say he has to do this or that to be a success. Because Brits look at Ukraine and think of it like this is a place we we want to help. We want to take refugees. We want to punish Russia with sanctions. We want to send troops to NATO countries. But we don't want to get involved to the point that we ourselves are under threat. And and, and so we we are taking a sort of let's help, but let's help from a distance point of view, regrettably. So before we move on to um, public attitudes towards the um, invasion of Ukraine and and what the British government should be doing, just a final question on the on the Westminster side of things. Would you say, Ben, that we're observing a new norm in the polling positions of the two major parties and Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, that after the, the scandal around Partygate and the plummeting and, and the shifts, that these new positions have sort of stabilised and, and this is the, the new normal? Is it, is it helpful to think of it in that way? It is, you, you, look, you look at the ratings for Johnson and he has, what, 55% disapproval or even 60% and 20-something actually like him. It might be fair to start thinking this is a new normal. He's hit rock bottom. This rock bottom might be his normal. It's almost like he's soured himself with the public. And that is, is, is there much of a recovery? There could be, but not by an amount that, that sees him return to, you know, COVID levels or even 2019 levels. I think Johnson has burst his bridges with the vast majority of the public and there is not much way back. But I must emphasise vast majority of the public. You know, I think in, in certain places like marginal seats, it, it, it's a bit more fluid. It's, it's less, we hate him, it's more, we're unsure of him, we don't really like him anymore. There's a lot of voter uncertainty in this country right now. And so there is a bit of a slight road back for Johnson, but not to the level we've seen before, which makes him more of a normal politician. He's not Teflon, he's not uh, Nigel Farage Mark II, he's actually, he's just an unpopular politician. And. And really final question on this, what does that look like in terms of numbers and how would that translate into a general election result? Ah, numbers in terms of seats. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, right. Well, at the moment, uh, according to Britain Predicts, available on the New Statesman website, we have uh, Labour on 305, 312 seats and the Tories on 250 something, maybe 230, which is basically 2010, but reversed. Mm-hmm. Lib Dems take the role of the SNP and SNP take the role of the Dems. I think those those are pretty much what we've been seeing for the past few months. I think it's a bit lower than that. Um, we, there, was, there was a debate amongst the polling community not too long ago, which is basically what do we do with those undecided voters? Because they're not going to be undecided on polling day. They're going to do something. And when we did a previous episode, Stephen once said to me is that the vast majority of undecided voters, they return to their home party come polling day, right? Uh, mm-hmm. 90% actually normally, with a few exceptions, 
1997, one of the contributing reasons for Labour's landslide was that a big number of Tory voters just stayed at home because they didn't feel threatened by a Labour government. They just thought, like, I'm not exactly enthused by this Tory party, so I'm going to stay at home. And I think, to be honest, we are in a, the debate in the polling community is, is that going to happen again? Are 90% of undecideds going to return home? which means the Tory numbers are a bit higher and the polls at the moment should be a bit narrower? Or is the Labour Party not seen as a threat to Tory voters and is a Labour victory not seen as anathema to Tory voters to the point that really they actually might stay at home? And as Boris Johnson burnt his bridges with his types of vote, that they do stay at home? We don't know. So at the moment, our poll tracker has Labour ahead by eight points. It probably is between eight and five, I'd say. Labour still has a lead. They'll probably have a lead throughout this crises to come, plural. But I don't think you're going to see a Boris bounce. Ukraine is not going to save Boris Johnson. And in terms of how the public see um, the sort of most high profile aspects of our response to the invasion so far, I just wondered if you could give us a feel for whether or not they think the government is going far enough. Is there specific polling on sort of the strength of our economic sanctions, for example? The British public are the types of people who wave their hands about and say, we must do something about something. <laughs> we do. But, but they, 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 they're not exactly paying attention to the specifics. I think stories like uh, Roman Abramovich, Chelsea you know, Russian billionaire mansions will capture public feeling and annoy a lot of voters. The idea that the government's not doing enough about that will annoy voters. But generally speaking, they have been satisfied about the response so far. Just before war broke out, uh, most Brits were saying Johnson's not handling Ukraine well. Now most Brits say he is handling it well. But it doesn't really matter to his overall ratings. So you have about 80-something percent of Brits who say, yes, we support economic sanctions against Russia. Just 4% are opposed. Very few people. Um, when it comes to things... The oligarchs. Like, yeah, the oligarchs. <laughs> <laughs> then you have about 60% or thereabouts support sending more British troops to uh, NATO countries. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. You know, we, we, the vast majority of Brits believe we should back our allies. Uh, our declared allies, allies in our military unions. But when it comes to sending troops to Ukraine, British troops to Ukraine, coordinating airstrikes against Russian troops in Ukraine, Brits are very reticent. I'm, I'm quite surprised at how how much attention Brits are paying to this conflict, because normally, again, they generally don't. And when it comes to sending troops to Ukraine or coordinating airstrikes in Ukraine, you know, you have about just a quarter who want to do that. And what we've seen over the past few weeks is the number who want to send troops go up just a little bit, but the number who say absolutely not also go up. So the so the share, that piece of the pie that's undecided, has closed significantly in recent times. Curious thing that I think is very interesting is the number of Brits who support refugees coming to this country. Uh, you have about three quarters who support the principle of taking more refugees in. You ask them about the specifics of numbers. There's a bit of nuance there, but you try to poll the public on numbers. You're not going to get a helpful answer. You, you, you're not going to get anything particularly helpful there. But what's interesting is this 76% support for bringing Ukrainian refugees to this country is significantly higher than what we were seeing in Syria in 2015, 2013 as well. And it's higher too than what we even saw during the Bosnia crisis in the 1990s which is a conflict we tend to forget all too much. You know, it doesn't stay static. We're not always anti-migrant, anti-refugee. We have evolved. And five years ago, we were a lot more sceptical of refugees than we are now. Maybe you don't have the, the data on this, Ben, but how does that compare with um, public attitudes towards Afghan refugees? Because that's a, a quite recent issue. 
generally speaking, back then, in, what was it, August last year, even then we were seeing a change in attitudes from the, the years of 2015-16. Uh, a plurality of Brits back then supported, again, the principle of bringing Afghan refugees to this country. Less so. It wasn't 76% for Ukrainian refugees. It was closer to, I think, maybe 40 or maybe close to 50. But I do remember it was definitely a plurality of Brits who wanted to take some Afghan refugees in. It's just fascinating because one of the strands of conversation emerging around the conflict in Ukraine is um, the appropriateness of some of the phrasing used by journalists and, you know, the this this idea implicitly that there's there's more empathy from the British people and from the West in general because this is a, a a white European country and the majority of people here find it easier to imagine themselves in that situation than they have with other conflicts creating refugee crises and so it's interesting to see whether that is borne out actually in the in the polling around this because it's obviously great as you say that people are paying attention to this conflict and and care greatly and there and there is massive support for welcoming refugees but but sort of whether there is that uncomfortable discrepancy with our attitude to to previous conflicts it's true it, it's very much true however we are nonetheless still seeing a shift in attitudes towards migrants and refugees but rewind mm. back to bosnia the vast majority of refugees there were white as well some of them were christian some of them were muslim but attitudes have shifted in a lot over the course of the last few years well, because, uh, you know, Anush has written on this and so have I a little bit in recent weeks. There's legislation still making it its way through Parliament at the moment, the Nationality and Borders Bill, partly, you know, on, on our policy on immigration in general, but also on, on refugees. And it's quite hard line, has, has faced quite a lot of criticism there. You know, there are big concerns that it sort of breaches international norms around the practices around welcoming refugees. Um and that has been assumed to sort of be bowing to public opinion on, you know, wanting mm -hmm. to take a tough approach to, for example, the small boats crisis. I'm wondering what polling do we have on on that? Do, yeah. Does a really does a tough line on people crossing from Calais still exist alongside a desire to welcome lots of Ukrainian refugees? So much of our immigration debate has been defined by the 20, early 2010 to 2015 Parliament. It's been defined by UKIP. It's been defined by the EU referendum. We tend to forget, again, public opinion is fluid. It shifts, it changes. And the country generally is more sceptical than positive about more migrants, more refugees coming to this country. But my goodness me, have we softened in recent years? Um, 2013, just when UKIP was definitely on the rise in this country, you had around... 60 to 65 percent of the country said we should have welcomed less immigrants to this country. That number has fallen down to 40 percent or so. So you've had a 20 point fall in the number of Brits who want to restrict the number of migrants into this country. Attitudes have shifted. And I think since we, since the EU referendum, attitudes have softened significantly because there's been a perception of the country taking back control of our borders, then they feel like, ah, we have control, we can have a more fluid, welcoming, softer attitude towards people of other countries. And I think when when you see polls which show this, this country being quite negative, quite reticent towards welcoming more refugees and immigrants, part of it, I think, came from a perception that they didn't have control, they didn't have a say. And the EU referendum, the votes for UKIP, the Conservative majorities, sort of made them feel like they've had their say, and now they've softened accordingly.
So interesting. I remember there was a UK and a Changing Europe report a couple of weeks ago that you might have seen, Ben, which actually found that Brexit seems to have made Brits more pro-immigration, which um, goes with what what you were saying. Um, And obviously that Nationality and Borders Bill is is in its final stages, sort of saying the opposite really to what the public are saying in polling about welcoming Ukrainian refugees, which is quite interesting because the Home Office has been, I mean, it's probably fair to say slow, but, you know, some would say incompetent at introducing its visa concessions for Ukrainians. Priti Patel had to be called back to the Commons to sort of announce a more generous scheme. And it's clear that they're scrambling to come up with something to to welcome refugees in that is sort of suitable for in terms of what the public opinion is on this. Whereas I think there was a assumption that the public wouldn't want restriction free entry for Ukrainians. That's changed. And actually, with the polling that we've just done, you know, fresh from its fieldwork on the 2nd of March, almost two thirds of the British public would support Ukrainian refugees being granted visas to the UK without restriction. Um, and obviously, at the moment, there are still um, significant restrictions on that. So I think that's interesting, too, and might change the the calculation among some of those those ministers who who think that they're in line with the public when actually they, they aren't. And can, can we just say it's only going to go up? Support's only going to go up. The more attention people pay to Ukraine, the more devastating Putin's assault is towards the citizens, including the Russian-speaking citizens of Ukraine. Um, the more public sympathy for the people of Ukraine, the more public sympathy there will be for eventually, you know, intervening, maybe militarily. It might not be a majority, but it will certainly rise. It's only going one way. The Ukraine crisis has has sort of exposed how willing Brits can be to welcoming refugees generally. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok. And over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call... We Ask Ben. (laughs) Am I meant to get involved with that or not? I don't, I don't want to. So no, don't worry, worry about it. We won't subject you to it. <laughs> this question is from Ryan. Thank you for writing in. Is there or is there a way of getting any reliable data on what the Russian people think of the war in Ukraine? Hello, Ryan. Thank you for that question. That is actually uh, something we sort of haven't paid any attention to because uh, public opinion in Russia 
is incredibly key and, and it's absolutely fascinating. The annoying thing, though, is that there are a number of pollsters that regularly survey in Russia that are state-sponsored. And to tell you the <laughs> truth, we can't really trust them. We don't really know much about them, uh, to, to be regrettably blunt in that regard. Nonetheless, a number of academics and indeed British pollsters have had a go at surveying public opinion in Russia, and it's just worth bearing this in mind. First of all, let's just give a profile of what the Russian population is like. Generally speaking, they tend to like Putin more than they don't. Okay, when we hear anecdotes about young Russians that despise Putin, that is definitely true. The generational difference in the gap between those that have feelings about Vladimir Putin is huge. You think there's a generational difference between young people that don't like Johnson and old people that do. It's so much wider in Russia. Okay, and I'll give you a few examples. So Russian public opinion generally is quite if I, if I use the word nationalistic, you would perhaps read a bit too much into that than you should. It's a country that has a feeling of identity, is quite proud of that identity, and likes to be quite traditional in that regard. A perfect example is this. Uh, Savannah Comres, to their credit, decided to do a survey of Russians a few weeks ago, just before war broke out, and um, they asked them a few questions. They also asked Ukrainians a few questions. Russians, do you consider the Soviet Union to have been a positive or negative thing? 71% say positive. In Ukraine, it's only 34%. Do you think Russia and Ukraine should be one country? 34% in Russia say no. Do you think Russia and Ukraine are the same people? The vast majority say yes. Russians see themselves as their own kind of Europeans. Russians and Ukrainians, like they're part of the same group. That's what a lot of Russians see. But to the extent that they want to be part of the same country, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, and that, that's a key thing here. Russians have this perception of nationalism that they stick to. And Putin, for his 20-something years as president, 22 now, has embodied that. And I would say until recently, he has been doing that successfully. Last year, I went to Russia in October to St. Petersburg, which is the most liberal, most progressive city in Russia. It's all relative. And I, I met people basically of my age and I had to sign a waiver, by the way, that I wouldn't, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be a journalist while I'm there. To get a visa, you had to sign this waiver that I'm not going to do any journalism work. But that didn't stop me having a drink with friends and just asking them a load of questions about the politics. And of all the people my age I met, all of them were apathetic. All of them had no appreciation for Putin. But all of them, curiously enough, voted in the parliamentary election last year, in the 2021 parliamentary Duma election. And all of them as well, curiously enough, voted tactically. Now, tactical voting in the UK, it comes, it goes, it de it's dependent on constituency, but you don't see it across a generation, do you? You don't see it so profound everywhere. When I was in St. Petersburg, every young person I met voted tactically based on what Alexei Navalny told them to do. You know, in some seats, it was voting for the Communist Party candidate, which is sometimes pro-Putin. And in some seats, it was voting for the Liberal Democrat candidate, which in no way is Liberal or Democrat. <laughs> the, the willingness from young Russians to vote for anything Putin was profound. And what you need to know about Russia generally is it is more nationalist than we in the West. It has a, a, sense, of, a sense of community belonging and, and Russian greatness, and it longs for a nostalgic past far more so than, than, than any country in the West. But the generational divide is growing. You have young Russians now who don't rely on television or their, their main news sites. 
they rely on the equivalent of Telegram, which is like WhatsApp, but a lot more intricate. And a perfect example of this is one year ago, Yandex or Google searches, Yandex is the Russian equivalent for Google, searches for Telegram, the messaging app, was like only about 100,000 a week. And this week, it was like 300, 400,000. Young Russians don't normally get their information from conventional sources. They get it elsewhere because they realize, they recognize their country is not for them. And they are, but, but nonetheless, they are still a minority. The country is more likely to support Putin than not. But it's not as big as State Duma parliamentary elections show. Perfect example, last year, the United Russia Party, Putin's party, won an overwhelming majority, a landslide in the Duma, the, the, the state parliament. And it's fair to say that a little bit of fraud went on and a little bit of ballot stuffing went on there. Some statisticians, far better than anything I could do, tried to model how much of an effect it had. The actual result had United Russia, Putin's party, on 50% of the vote. The statisticians say United Russia probably got closer to between 30 and 35% of the vote. That would have nonetheless put them still ahead of all the other parties, the Communist Party, the Liberal Democratic Party, and mm. other nationalists and smaller parties. Put bluntly, the opposition in Russia does not enthuse that many people. And it's so split and ineffective, like the French left. It's not doing particularly well. But nonetheless, that doesn't stop Putin and his types from well, rigging elections, basically. Yeah, and I suppose there's the further question that perhaps we'd need someone else uh, to come on and answer perhaps from our world review, brothers and sisters on our international podcast, of how much public opinion actually affects Putin's actions anyway. Um, I know that Navalny has been calling for people to gather in public squares to show their, their opposition in Russia, but how much would that really change Putin's calculations? It's just worth bearing in mind that arrests, you know, we, we saw on the first day of the war, arrests were like 2,000, 2,000 something. On Sunday, when Russians had a day off, arrests were also 2,000 something. But on Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and now, and now Thursday, there are still arrests going on. Hundreds of Russians are being arrested every day for protesting the war. This persistence is not something we've seen in Russia since the end of the Soviet Union. The, the protests we saw against the occupation of the Crimea or in 2010 or earlier, nothing compared to what we're seeing now. It's so significant. Thank you so much, Ben. That was fascinating stuff and we'll have you back on in a few weeks' time. Thank you for having me. And if you want up-to-date coverage on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, then listen to our international podcast, World Review. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Alva Ray and Ben Walker. We're produced by May Robson and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.